Welcome to the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings, where we debate, discuss, and dive into law-related issues important to all of us. I'm Dave Miranda, past president of the New York State Bar Association and partner at the intellectual property law firm of Heslin, Rothenberg, Farley, and Messier. This week on Miranda Warnings, we're at the New York State Bar Association's Tech Summit, and we have the co-chair of the Tech Summit, Paul Unger. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's really great to have you, Paul. Paul is the uh, uh, one of the original uh, founders of Affinity Consulting Group, a law practice management consulting group for law firms. So this is a perfect group for you. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So go where the lawyers are, and the lawyers are all here at the New York State Bar Association's Tech Summit. Tell me, uh, Paul. What are you seeing today as uh, big trends that are affecting lawyers and law firms? So um, the, I think the biggest trend today uh, that I see in going to the technology programs and tracking attendance, which is, a, I think, a, a great way to, to look at those, you know, look at those metrics and see what lawyers are interested in. So, you know, there's no better way than to take a show like ABA Tech Show, right, in Chicago every year. They've been doing this for 30 years, and uh, you know they get a pool of a, a thousand attendees, and then looking at those metrics and seeing exactly what sessions they're interested in. Right. Um, and cybersecurity is, is the, mm. has been at the top of the list for uh, probably the last three or four years. So I think that's uh, primarily driven by um, client demand. So I, you know, it's it's funny. I've been talking about cybersecurity for 20 years, and I remember 20 years ago talking about email encryption mm. and the need for email encryption. And I, I said, mark these words, mark my words. In the next two years, we're all going to be encrypting email, and you know, here we are, almost 20 years later, and we're still not. And it's really become prevalent over the last five years, in particular, and it's because our clients are forcing us or mandating us to do that. Where they weren't doing it before, and even though we had rules that would at least obligate us to do so, um, if special, you know, special circumstances um, would, uh, would call for that, like intellectual property or sensitive information, um, we still didn't do it because we didn't have to do it. And now our clients are, are sending us cybersecurity questionnaires Right. And they're saying, fill this out. Do you have policies in place? Do you encrypt? Do you use two-factor authentication? Do you, you know, are you sharing passwords? Are you encrypting emails? And, you know, when you answer no to a few of those questions and then you risk losing a client or you lose a client, all right, now, now we're paying attention. And right. so, um, you know, our clients are dragging us into that. And so cybersecurity is probably at the top of the list. Now, you gave a program here at the New York State Bar Association's Tech Summit called 50 Tips in 50 Minutes. And so we, we're not going to go through all 50, but tell, give me one, give me the best tip <laughs> that, that you can give to our list of those 50. What's the, what's the best one that you could, you could give? Of the 50. Wow. You know, I, the one that comes to mind is actually, is probably one of my favorite tips over the last couple of years. And that's, um, that's using an iPad with an Apple Pencil and an app called Notability. Hmm. So we constantly, you know, lawyers constantly take notes. And we, we grab a legal pad or we grab pieces of paper. We, we jot stuff down and then those papers get lost 
or we write down the name of a person or a phone number or a product or a service or an expert, you know, somewhere, and then we can't find it. So what I love about Notability is it handles handwriting, it handles text, we could do drawing, and it also records too, which is oftentimes handy. But with the handwriting in particular, what Notability does, and this is true with uh, Microsoft OneNote, it does this as well, it's a good alternative, but it OCRs, which means optical character recognition, and so it OCRs handwriting. And you know, it's not, if your handwriting is terrible, it's not, it may not do a great job, but it does actually a, a pretty good job overall if your handwriting is just halfway neat. And so I could do a word search years later on the PDFs that it creates or within the Notability and app. And you would do this in, uh, with an iPad? Is on that... an iPad using okay. the Apple Pencil, which is a stylus. So it's okay. essentially it's a digital pen. And so you take your notes no matter where they're saved, no matter you know, when you took them, you could do a word search or a phrase search for any one of those words or phrases in your handwritten notes and then find them. So right. I mean, I just think it's a wonderful way to organize notes based on notebooks, based on cases, based on projects, and then be able to make them text searchable. Well, that sounds great. I'm, I'm getting a little tired of carrying my stone and chisel around, so <laughs> that sounds like a good alternative. So now you gave 50 tips in 50 minutes. I'm guessing there might be a little fluff in there. What was the one, like you only, you had 49 good ones, <laughs> and what's the one you threw in just so you could round it off to 50? None. Like the Actually, worst, the worst tip that you none gave. Of them. None, none of them. None of them. Absolutely all, no none fluff. of them. Yeah. In fact, in fact, they're probably in the materials. There's probably more like 70 yeah, tips right. in well, there. So tell me, what was the 51st? What was the one that got cut? <laughs> I don't that know. That got cut because it didn't wasn't good enough. To I don't know. I can't 50. remember. I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, so I can't <laughs> okay, remember what I cut. Right. But there's so many in there. It's you know, it's worth, it's worth actually you know, if you have access to the the materials. Um, I would I would check that out. You could go on the nysba.org and yeah. look into the 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 CLE program. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, you know law firms generally. You talk a little you talk some about you know generational differences that um, you know there's an understanding of technology that's different between younger generations and older generations. We've got people that are graduating from law school that are now becoming lawyers that do not know what it's like not to have the internet, um, that it's been with them their whole lives. And yet um, it's the older generation, baby boomers, that are now between the ages of 55 and 73 that are running most law firms today. So. Tell me, what's the number one mistake that law firms are making regarding technology today? Well, um, so two, two thoughts come to mind with that question. And the first one relates to the generation in the, in the age of mm. the demographics of, of um, uh, well, well, the age of a lot of the, the, the participants in these law practice management programs and tech programs in particular. We are constantly disappointed in the CLE world uh, when we look at the attendance and see, for instance, in this in this summit, the the number of millennials and, and young attorneys or, or or new attorneys who attend this summit is just terrible. I mean, it's a it's a very small number and very small percentage, and mm. that's a trend nationwide. And and we you know in the CLE world, we talk about the reasons for that and and being able to appeal to those lawyers and. And my observation from the trenches is that 
um, that young lawyers are, they're too worried about malpracticing in their substantive area of law that they're attending those substantive, you know, uh, programs, substantive law programs as opposed to the tech programs. And they, they erroneously believe that they already know technology. They think, well, you know, I've been using tech and I've been on the internet. I've been, I know this stuff. And they really don't. They, you know, they, you look at their use of Microsoft Word and honestly, it's like they're just using it as a glorified typewriter. And they just think they, you know, because they've been using Word or, or you know, Google Suite or something else, that they know what they need for tech. And it, it's, it's, it's really untrue. So um, we see, you know, the people and those attorneys, once they get to, to be, you know, 40 years old, they, then they start coming to the tech programs. And it's really interesting and they have a strong interest. But by that point, they're masters in their area of practice and they're right. not worried about malpractice. So that's why we see that. And I, I would like to see the young lawyers invest more time in law practice management uh, uh, topics like time management, distraction management, and and learning the tech tools because they really don't know them. Um, The biggest mistake though, the biggest mistake that I think that law firms make is not figuring out how to manage digital files, right? And so they, they get stuck in this paper world where they're maintaining a parallel paper file along with saving digital files. And what that results in is a scattered file and where some of the information and not all of it is in the paper file and not all of it is in the digital file. And, and that's just, that just spells inefficiency and missing information. And then potentially, you know, it could be, it could be disastrous in some situations. So I think, I think law firms and legal departments need to figure out how to master the digital file and how to manage and retrieve, save, manage, and retrieve digital information. And to do that, they've got to give up the paper file. Lawyers love their paper, though. I know. I got got to tell you, I love a book in my hands. I really do. (laughs) And when you're reading a brief that's 25 pages long, I... I I'm, I go buggy uh, so, on the computer. So let me t- let me t- let's talk about that for a second because you know I I grew up in that same world, right? We had a paper file when I went when I entered into the practice of law back in the early '90s, uh, and I I went into the law firm and I had a laptop and I was I was actually the first person in my law school with a laptop. I brought it in class and they they looked at me like I was an alien. Like what is the what are you Maybe doing? Maybe that wasn't the laptop. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I am a little funny looking, but you know, then I went into the law, the law firm and I, you know, I said, I, listen, I want to connect to the network and I, I can type my own stuff. I can generate my own documents. I know how to do this stuff and I don't need to, this, this, what's this device you've handed me to dictate? You know, this is, right. this is kind of silly and inefficient. I can have this document done in an hour as opposed to wait a couple of days for this to be transcribed. And they said, no, lawyers don't, lawyers don't do this. That, you know, the keyboard's beneath lawyers. That's, that's for the legal assistance. And so, I mean, I had, to beg, I had to beg for that. And so I grew up in that age where I had to learn to dictate. I, you know, I, I printed to review documents. And then, of course, you know, technology evolved. And so this was, a, you know, for me, this was a while back. But about 10 years ago, um, in, in my own organization, I act as general counsel and I review contracts. And so... I remember getting an email in and I get this giant contract. It was, you know, 50 some pages. And um, in our world, that's a pretty big contract. And that's big. so, yeah. so you know, I, I, resort, I just kind of went back to my habit. And what I did was I hit file print, went to the laser printer, got my 
my red pen and I went and sat in the conference room and, you know, so I could focus and start marking. I got to the end of the first page and I thought, this is odd. This is, this doesn't feel comfortable reviewing this document on paper. It did, it was like organically just hmm. happened and it happens over time, but it didn't feel right. Just like today for you to review that on a screen didn't feel right. And it took me a long time to get there, but eventually organically it actually happens. And you will get to a point, you have to push yourself, right? But you will get to a point my eyes. It where it's actually, my eyes, it's more, it's, it's more efficient and natural. And you will feel legitimately, you will feel that you will be more accurate hmm. in reading and reviewing that document on a screen than on paper. It's, it's a funny phenomenon, but it will happen. Plus, I'm a horrible typist also. I'm <laughs> so like that, that 10 could, words a minute with mistakes. That could affect so. things. Sure. <laughs> so now, you're the author of a, of a book called Tame the Digital Chaos, which um, sounds a little scary. Um, a Lawyer's Guide to Distraction, Time, Task, and Email Management. So um, lawyers are... Are they more distracted than others, or are they just trying to multitask uh, a little too much? I think you hit the nail on the head. It's about multitasking, and we, you know, I think everybody tries to be a multitasking superhero and think that they can do a million things and juggle you know, 10 balls or 100 balls at a time. And the reality is the human brain is, doesn't function that way. Very few people are, we're not multitaskers, we're actually we're super taskers. And there's only probably 1% of the population is, is a super tasker. So even supertaskers don't multitask very well. Um, for me, pers- so for me, um, I I'm easily distracted. I'm easily overwhelmed. Um, I uh, I am a little OCD, and so and that you know that contributes to the chaos of digital. And in today's day and age, we um, by one study I, I I read about actually five years ago we receive the equivalent of 174 newspapers of data per day through email, through um, social media, through you know, all sorts of digital means. And so, and what that spells out is we are distracted. The legal profession is distracted on average every, depending on the study, one, two, three minutes. Um, the average American worker, it's more like five or every five to six minutes. So we live in a hair on fire world which is probably one of the reasons why I'm bald. Um, and, and, but, and that problem's not going away. So um, many years ago, I read a book by David Allen called Getting Things Done. And it's called the, you know, the GTD system. I'm a big David Allen fan. And, and I, I've taken a lot of the methodologies that David Allen teaches in his book. And I've adapted that to the practice of law and technology. So... Um, at least in his earlier books, and even some of the newer ones, what's not addressed is how, actually how to roll up our sleeves and use the technology to manage email, to manage distractions, to, um, to actually, you know, how do we manage tasks electronically and effectively and, and, and reconcile that with the number of emails that we get and not use our inbox as a to-do list. Uh, most lawyers are receiving uh, at least 120 emails a day. Uh, if you're general counsel in a university college or, or a corporate legal department, you're getting about two, three, four. I met a, a general counsel the other day that got over 600 emails a day. Right. And so um, 
with the blessings of technology also come the evils of distractions. Yes. And uh, according to most studies today, it takes us, following an electronic-based interruption, it takes us 23 minutes to return back to the work we are performing. And the harder the task, the more likely it is that we won't return. So the book, my book, Tame the Digital Chaos, is about managing distractions because talking time management today without talking about distraction management is time management malpractice. Right. We have to talk about distractions today and manage those distractions and stop multitasking. Right. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's multiple methodologies that's adaptable to the way your brain works, the way my brain works, to deal with how to save and retrieve electronic information and manage that electronic information, and then manage all those distractions and turn them into tasks and things that we follow up on without them falling between the cracks. Because when you're multitasking, you're actually, in many instances, not doing twice as much, you're doing half as much, you're doing less. Because if you're sitting in a CLE like we had here today and also checking your email messages, you're missing, you're not giving your full attention to the email, which it deserves, right. and you're missing out on what uh, the presenters are, are uh, talking about. And then when you decide to go back and pay attention, you're a little bit lost. And as you said, it's going to take you a couple of minutes now to catch up. So rather than doing two things at once, you've really ended up doing less than one thing. You do. And according to one study, uh, multitasking results in a 40% loss of productivity. Um, it's making us appear dumb. Um, it's not making us dumb, but it's affecting our performance. Right. In one study, they administered an IQ test on three groups of people. The first group had no distractions, no interruptions. The second group were fed electronic-based interruptions. And the third group had no electronic-based interruptions, but they were stoned on marijuana. <laughs> and the first group, of course, scored the best. And the second group, however... How many people at the program today were stoned? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Is that legal here? I think... It, I don't know if that was on the questionnaire. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm not advocating anything here, obviously. It might cause people to chill and relax a little bit. But, but no, right, in, yeah. in, in all seriousness, the, the group that was stoned on marijuana scored, on average, three to four points higher on the IQ test than the group that wasn't stoned but were fed electronic-based interruptions. So when we're in meetings and we're doing email or we're doing other things. Was we're that not, one of your 50 tips to get stoned? It wasn't, it wasn't, but maybe it will be. That's a good idea. <laughs> so yeah, I understand what you're saying here because I like to consider myself a fractional tasker. And so I can do up to one half of one job at the same time. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm right there with you. So when, when we're talking about um, all the data that we have coming in, we're getting you know, inundated with emails and snippets from social media. Um, it seems to me as though, and not, this is not just lawyers, this is people in general, there's not the kind of in-depth sit down and think about a, a topic or a subject and, and work your way through it like we used to have. There needs to be immediate results, and I don't think you get nearly as close to uh, a solution for things. It's just move, just keep moving things. Yeah, and you know, and that's really unfortunate for many people like, like myself. I'm a, I'm a slow but like absolutely correct 
processor and thinker and analyzer. Mm. So it takes me sometimes two days to get the right answer, but I'm always, I don't want to say I'm always right, but I'm usually right. You do want to say it. But, Go ahead, yeah. say it. <laughs> but I ne I'll tell you, I'm, I'm slow though. Like I, you know, if, it, it, I can't process. Sometimes I have to let things marinate and think. And so in the, in the digital world, you know, if, you, if the client expectation is immediate response, um, that boy, it really forces me to, to immerse and single task in order to get the right answer and, you know, to, and get, get the right answer right away. But I, I agree with you, you know, that the, 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 the demand for immediate response, I think, has, uh, has resulted in um, erroneous advice or bad advice or not the best advice, um, especially if, you know, if it's me, because <laughs> yeah. it takes me a while. Well, especially for lawyers, too. I mean, uh, legal questions are fact-intensive. Uh, there's not the same answer for uh, every, every, even if you're on the same topic, the answer's not always the same. You need to be, there needs to be time for thoughtful contemplation uh, about an issue. And you can't just pump out something in, you know, 240 characters or 280 characters. Right. And collaboration, right? And, 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 and you know, and, and consulting with your colleagues. And sitting down and just letting things, you know, think, thinking about it, thinking it all the way through. And we do, I think we do lose that. Um, we do lose that quality. So I encourage lawyers um, when possible to have, and, and sometimes we can't do that because of the clients that we have and the type of matters and hair sure. and fire matters that we have. But, you know, if you can to have those conversations with your clients to buy yourself that, you know, more time to to, you know, to be more thoughtful in, in, in advice and in the advice they give. You know, you mentioned before that lawyers are oftentimes slow adapters. They'll adapt to something when their clients force them to, mm -hmm. and then they'll come yeah. on board because it's, uh, they need to keep their clients. What are you seeing that law where lawyers need to be going, let's say for five years from now, where are lawyers going to be uh, and what are they going to be doing five years from now that they're not necessarily doing now? Um, I find that, you know, sometimes um, there's, a, there's a little bit of a curve uh, when it comes to the legal profession. Yeah, so two things come to mind. Um, the first one is the cybersecurity topic that, that I mentioned, too. And I would hope that in five years' time, we're seeing lawyers use two-factor authentication, they're using cloud services that have world-class security, and we've we've buttoned up the you know the risks of ransomware attacks and um, you know and putting our 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 client data and information right. at risk. I, I think really, we're starting to see that. Yeah, and I, yeah. I hope that that's tightened up a little right. bit five years from now. So that's one thing. The other the other area is artificial intelligence. Mm, and, okay, and interesting. So we're seeing we're seeing artificial intelligence get weaved into products more and more today where we can upload a brief and and then you know it spits out the the case law or statutes that we may not have even thought of that might not be cited um, it, we can you know if we in drafting documents and artificial intelligence as well the predictive filing that might automate you know the saving of emails and documents a little bit better so I, I think we're gonna see a lot more artificial intelligence um, you know, baked into our practices, which is a little scary too, right? Yes. Um, and so, you know, you know, trusting those systems, um, uh, you know, I feel uncomfortable uh, sometimes thinking that, gosh, 
these systems out there like you know Cortana is reading my email and then delivering to me suggestions in the next day of things that I need to follow up. You know, where's that, you know, where's that data going? How is it being used? You know, and sometimes I, you know, I draft an email and then I pop over to Facebook and all of a sudden I see an ad because I, you know, I use the word toaster in talking and I think Siri is paying attention and fa passing, <laughs> it's, it's a little scary, right? So we're gonna see, I think we're gonna see some laws and regulations built into regulating the, the artificial intelligence. Uh, but I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna make an impact on, on the practice law and automating our, um, our everyday uh, you know, tasks that we perform. So if you're a you know, lawyer in a big firm, small firm, what would your advice be to a lawyer today? What's the thing, one thing that they need to be doing? Invest in training. Training, tech training? Tech training, law practice, management, you know. So um, we, I, I tell folks this all the time, you know, you, you could spend a lot of money on technology and it becomes an expensive doorstop. But if your process is bad, process always beats technology. And so the way that we improve our process is, um, is that we, we map our processes out and we take a look at that process for those inefficiencies. Um, and, and in order to map those processes and see those, those inefficiencies, we've got to understand what you know, software applications can and can't do. And so, you know, we can't improve those processes without knowing the potential of the program. And we spend tens of thousands of dollars on solutions, and then we continue to use that solution, you know, on a, you know, a kindergarten or elementary level, and, and we're not improving anything. Um, and so we've got to invest in training. Um, and and uh, the, the unfortunate thing is that and I'm a lawyer, so I'm going to pick on myself where, you know, and I, I'm guilty too. I buy software and I don't want to spend the money on training. We have to invest in the training. And sometimes that means we're spending two or three times the amount on the software itself uh, of that initial investment on training. Well, I, th I think lawyers, like many people, uh, time is very valuable, <laughs> right? right? And they're not going to do it unless there's a, they have to. And so they're not going to do some sort of like preventive type of training because they might need it in the future. It'll, it'll only come up when they're, it's demanding that they understand what demanding it is. Demanding or a crisis, right? Right, exactly. And so, you know, the best training that I've seen law firms implement has come from the top and a mandate from the top. So when the managing partner, you know, rules with an iron fist and, and mandates and their leadership team mandates that, that you know, training is absolutely required, and and they you know they set aside for that two-hour period or that day, um, you know, to attend a two-hour training session. They say, all right, we're going to excuse the billable hour and reduce that, so we invest in our people learning process. And it's not just software; it's learning process. It's learning you know how can we document our own processes within you know, to do you know a merger and make that more efficient and to automate our documents. When we invest in our practice, we invest in efficiencies and, and we invest in checklists. We invest in not malpracticing. Right. And it pays off a hundredfold every time, but it has to come from the top. And when, the when I see leadership teams and management, managing partners 
that that poo-poo training, um, th then none of the people in that environment, it's a culture problem, and none of those people will attend, and they have bad attitudes, and so, but it's gotta come from the top, it's gotta come from leadership. Well, Paul Unger, that's great advice. Thank you for giving your insights here on Miranda Warnings. Thank you for your time at the New York State Bar Association's Tech Summit. We have a feature on Miranda Warnings called, called Music, Book, or Movie, where you can share anything that you'd like our listeners to know more about. So, you know, I live kind of a boring life, and I read, I read more reference books than anything else. Um, I, I am a fan of the arts, but you know, probably the, the, the book that comes to mind that made the biggest impact on me personally, as well as, as in business and productivity, is David Allen getting things done. So that's what motivated me to write my book, Tame the Digital Chaos. Um, and so uh, David Allen getting things done, the GTD system, been around for, for uh, you know, probably well over 20 years, but uh, I would recommend that. It's, uh, it's made a major impact on my life. In, uh, in, in my personal life as well. Great. So uh, David Allen, Getting Things Done, and Paul Unger, thank you for being on Miranda Warnings. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Miranda Warnings. I encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to Miranda Warnings, a NISBA podcast available on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.